Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. This week's episode of the Platinum Sombrero Podcast is brought to you by the Miami Marlins School of Bitchcraft. At our establishment, you'll learn that actually competing against your enemies is completely overrated, and you should always take the cowardly way out if possible. The Iron Fist of Headmaster Mattingly will show you that being a bitch punk is the only way to be. We'll prepare you for a lifetime of running from adversity and hiding like a chicken behind high-velocity projectiles, and even then, still finding yourself unable to emerge victorious. If the School of Bitchcraft isn't for you, feel free to take some classes at the Derek Jeter School of Team Arson, where you too can learn how to burn down a franchise just like the captain. The Miami Marlins School of Bitchcraft. Patent? Granted. Fifty-one thousand plus on their feet. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight, I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch. Here it is. Swung. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes! 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 Twenty-five lighters on my dresser, yes sir. You know I got to get paid. High five ball, belt to right center, and the Braves have landed. Twenty-five lighters on my dresser, yes sir. You know I got to get paid. Swing and drive, belt to right, welcome to the show. Twenty-five lighters on my twenty-five. Now get ready. This is the Platinum Sombrero Podcast with your hosts, Dylan Short and Adam Doc Herbert. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Platinum Sombrero brought to you by Armchair All-Americans, the new and revamped Armchair All-Americans, and our friends at MyBookie. Football is back, everybody. AB is in Oakland. Le'Veon's with the Jets. College football starts tomorrow. And it's finally time for you to get to mybookie.ag and subscribe today. If you guys like to gamble a little bit, mybookie is the number one place to go on the internet for sports gambling. They have all the best lines, updated daily, uh, updated hourly even. They've got the most accurate, up-to-date lines and prop bets for you as well. And if you use our promo code CHAIR, C-H-A-R, or C-H-A-I-R, CHAIR, now they're going to double what they were giving you before. Just for the new and revamped Armchair All-Americans My Bookie Agreement, if you if you sign up and put in your first initial deposit, they will give you a hundred percent match up to a thousand dollars. That means if you put a hundred dollars in for signing on for signing up with My Bookie, they're going to give you an extra hundred dollars to play with. Remember, you have to use the promo code Chair. Terms and conditions definitely apply, but they're going to give you a hundred percent match up to a thousand dollars. That means you get to show off to all your friends. You get to make a lot of money doing it. Basically, you get two shots. You get a get a get out of jail free card if you do that. If you want to bet Ronald Acuna you goes. 4040, you can do that at MyBookie. MyBookie.ag, promo code CHAIR when creating your account. Claim the bonus, bet, win, and then get paid. 
All right, so Doc, before we get into the show, you remember a couple weeks ago with Ben Chase where I had the gray hair reveal? Uh, I had the the huge crushing defeat of my life. I do remember that. Yes. Okay, so I've got an update. Um, it's not the chest anymore. The gray hairs are, are thankfully gone from the chest. Unfortunately, I am quickly losing the battle of gray hair. I looked this morning, and there were no less than seven gray hairs in my beard. Um, it's almost to the point where it's too much to pluck. And basically, I'm dying. You know, um, y- you didn't pluck it, did you? Because it's like the old wives' tale where like, if, if you pluck one, then, then two will grow back. Uh, I was unaware of that wives' tale. Well, yeah, I mean, it's 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 still just an old wives' tale, so you know the questions about the accuracy will persist on that. But uh, at a certain point, it's just going to take over. I just hope that yours come in like patches instead of like being sprinkled around, like because I probably have seven gray hairs in my mustache, but like none are next to each other. I look ridiculous. So, um, welcome to it, man. Welcome to the next phase of your life. Soon, you're going to have more gray hair than you don't. Why would you say that to me? Dude, I'm like 10 years older than you. This is my life anymore. You, you haven't seen me in a while. I'm, I'm starting to look old. I'm starting to look very haggard and gray. This is just, this is not, this is not a good time. Luckily, luckily, one thing that can keep me feeling young is watching this Braves team. Um, as they go through, and we're recording this on Thursday, so we'll know tonight whether or not they sweep the Marlins, but I'm, I'm pretty sure we're going to. Um, this has been a weird series. First off, great job by Julio having what I think was one of his best starts in a couple years last night. Looked absolutely filthy on the mound. Um, helping me in this time of need, in this time of crisis, by going out there and dominating a team that you should be dominating. That being said, uh, Don Mattingly can eat it. Oh, man, I when I was a kid, you know... There were so many, so many guys that were, you know, that still stand out. Like, because this was in the era of like Conseco uh, and and McGuire and and all, all those guys. And and Mattingly was kind of in that. And I felt like I had a kinship with him because we share a birthday, April twentieth. And uh, and I, I really respected him too. Like when he when he came back into the game uh, as a as a manager and a coach. And then in the last couple of years, it's just like every time I turn around, it's like okay. So I respect you a little bit less than I did before. And, I mean, last year, the dust-up with uh, Arania and Acuna, I still don't know how much of that was Arania and how much of it was Mattingly. But now, like, every time you turn around, there's something else dirty happening from the Marlins. I mean, it's not like we're not super bitter rivals where it's like Mets and Braves at each other's throats or Yankees and Red Sox. It's like Marlins and Braves. This It's a pretty harmless thing. And now you've got Eliezer Hernandez throwing at Acuna, like, what is the deal? I, I don't, I just, I don't understand. And it's it's to the point now where it's like, Don Mattingly's, it's kind of trashy, right? Is that out of line? Abs- Can I say that? It's a little trashy. Not, not out of line at all. I mean, just look at his face during the whole scrum. He's got this, that, this giant smug smirk on his face. And for Glavin, being a pitcher, man, quit being a little traitor. There's no, there's no way you could look at Hernandez's pitch and tell me that that wasn't intentional. He gets hit in the same region every time we play the Marlins. It's either the point of the elbow or it's right off the elbow on those ribs, and it's in the same spot right there at the hip every single time. I kind of wondered if uh, if Acuna was going to wind up charging, which I know would be 
like two days after he got disciplined, just going and all of a sudden trying to trying to start a fight or at least defend himself in a fight. But uh, he had that look, like he looked furious, and you can even see him talking. I think it was Alan Porter was the the home plate umpire. He's just like three times, okay? That's that's three times they've done this. That it's not just an accident, you know what I mean? So um, kudos to Snit for coming out and just defending his guy, and he got tossed again. He's uh, 149 games behind uh, Bobby Cox now to, to catch him in ejections. But, uh, but yeah, just the whole, the whole thing just, it, you can't really say like this happens every August because it's happened twice. You know, that's not exactly a large sample size. But it, I, I swear, like, it, it, it's getting to the point where every, every time Acuna heats up and he dominates the Marlins because the entire time that he's been a pro, the Marlins have sucked. So it's not like he's just out for blood. I think that's just what happens when you're running out kind of Bush League pitchers. Uh, but yeah, they they can't really seem to to keep it together. And and the fact that Mattingly is like the the recurring uh, the recurring theme here, or the the common denominator behind all this, I guess it's it's just really bizarre. And you mentioned that that he'd been behind this before. Like this is not the first time where he was kind of uh, being the general of beanballs. Right. When he was in L.A., he was a fan of the beanball, and that's just because that's the way Mattingly is. And even worse than that, after the game, which lets you know 100% that this, wasn't in, that this was not an accident, even though, oh, he said it was unintentional. When they talk about the warnings getting issued, Mattingly blames Acuna for the warnings. I mean, I don't really think I, I fully understand that. I mean, and, and truthfully, the Braves... You know, the history between the teams is long. There, there needs to be something said like, all right, you guys can't immediately come come back out here and retaliate because clearly it's going to be intentional. And you and I, Dylan, we've talked a lot about um, about headhunting and, and the, the ethics behind it and everything. And, and this is still, uh, still a gentleman's game. It's not exactly chess, but it's still a gentleman's game. And, uh, and that, that's something that you really got to be kind of careful about doing, but... But at a certain point, taking the high road is completely overrated, and you just want to turn back around and just just have somebody put put one in somebody's ribs. Now, unfortunately, it was Keuchel and Julio, and they're not exactly our hardest throwers, so it's it's not quite uh, it's not it's not like we got Sabaka out there throwing ninety seven ninety eight at Brian Anderson or something. But I don't know, man. This it's just it's weird for a team that is so deep in last place. It's they're like they're playing like they've got something to lose, but they really just kind of don't. You know, now they're twenty nine and a half games out of first. Like, what are you? What are you doing? What are you trying to accomplish here? And the the question on this one, I'm very disappointed that the Braves did not get anything back for Acuna. I'm very disappointed in them. Um, this Braves team, and I've talked about it with some of the guys around six eighty, um, that think, and I kind of agree with them that the Braves are a little bit too soft to do that type of thing. Um, if you were to look at the Braves roster and think who would actually charge a mound, like it's pretty much just Donaldson, maybe Tyler Flowers if he's grumpy, but that's like it. Everybody else would, would be a no. Like I don't think Acuna's the type of guy to go throw hands or anything. But at some point, you gotta answer the bell. You can't let these teams punk you like that. Like whether or not you want to engage in that, enough's enough, man. You can't have them hitting your best player for no other reason than the fact that he's great. That's the only reason Mattingly has to hit Acuna is that 
Acuna dominates the fish. So he throws at him, hits him, maybe try to get him off his game or get him emotional. It's the only thing that Mattingly can do. And if and if I'm the Braves, if I was Brian Snicker, and I'm I am not joking in the least, this is not a bit. I would have brought in Chris Martin, who's the hardest thrower in the bullpen. I'd have started the game with him. I'd have hit the first batter dead in the ribs or wherever inside you want to hit him aside from the face. And I would have stared at Mattingly the entire time. Knowing that I was going to get tossed, I would have stared at him the whole time. And in the post game, I would say, Major League Baseball is not going to do anything about it. Guess I have to. And tonight, you know, we're recording this on, on Thursday, as we often do. So, uh, as you alluded to, there's still one game left in the series, and it's the last game between these two teams in 2019. So, one of two things is going to happen. There's going to be something that, that happens tonight, and, you know, Soroka is going to wind up plunking somebody, and this is going to wind up escalating even farther. Or, going into next year, like, as soon as these two teams face each other, then there's going to wind up being some type of bad blood between them then. And then you're looking at it stretching out over three different seasons, and that's just... At that point, you're not even focusing on, the, on baseball anymore, because, like, you're, you're just so concerned about pitching inside and what that's going to wind up leading to, because if somebody takes offense to the fact that they got brushed back, even if it's not intentional... I mean, guys pitch inside. It's, it's been happening forever. But at the same time, it's like, th- this is just... it's getting it's getting weird and and I don't I don't really advocate for violence at all in this type of thing but you're right I mean it's not like they're throwing at Freddie they're not throwing at Ozzy or Donaldson they know better than to throw at Donaldson but it's always it's always just Acuña and 16 home runs in not even 2 years I mean that's a that's a weapon he he kills them all of the time so it's I I I would like to see some level of retaliation, but only in theory. Because as soon as as soon as somebody winds up getting hit, then it then it just escalates. And you know we're in a pennant race right now. The magic number's thirty. We can't afford to to lose somebody for three games right now. Even for <clears throat> even for as nice as the bloodlust kind of is, we got bigger things on our mind. A a lion does not concern himself with the opinions of sheep. See, I understand that intellectually. I don't think it applies in this case because if it were a one-off thing where a team was trying to start something, okay, I get it. But you can't let this keep happening because that's also going to send a message to other teams. Like You get reputations around baseball. Clint Hurdle has a reputation for hitting anybody he feels like. All the Pirates do now. But you get these reputations and you'll be known as soft and Opposing teams will know that you're not going to do anything about it. So I understand you can't let a team think that, oh, hey, just because they've got something to play for and we don't, I can do whatever I want and they're not going to do anything. Like that opens a whole other world. Like, what do the Marlins care if somebody gets suspended? They're horrible. No, and but, that's, yeah, that's, that's true. That's a good point. You can't just let you just you can't just let it happen. So I was I was very disappointed. Nothing was done yesterday, um, and I'm not just sitting here like, yeah, I hit everybody, but. You know, there there is a reason why that's been a quote unquote unwritten rule for so long. Like you have to let your players know that you've got their backs. You've got to you've got to if if Major League Baseball is not gonna police this, then you have to police it yourself. And Major League Baseball doesn't. Can we talk about how stupid warnings are? Like why are you gonna warn the Braves? They didn't do anything. And and that has to do with the history of it. You know, because you, you could see a scenario where where they would go out and and they would start headhunting with some with somebody and and you just you have to kind of avoid that at all costs where you can and Snit was absolutely in the right to get furious with that, but Acuna got his revenge. 
hit a 415-foot rope to straightaway center. He uh, he stood and admired it, uh, maybe <laughs> maybe for uh, in light of recent events, maybe for a little bit longer than he should have. But he just continued to do his thing and said, "You can throw at me all you want, but I'm still better than you, and I'm about to prove it." And you know, I don't know. It's been it's been a really interesting week for, for Acuna. It has, and we're going to touch on that in a second. My final thing is here, what's the point of warnings when Hernandez hits another guy and didn't get tossed? That was weird. That was that was really weird. And the fact that, of course, he wound up getting pulled from the game with a blister on his middle finger. It couldn't have been any other finger. By the way, it just so happened to be when he was due up first in the inning. Yeah. Yeah. I don't... Um... I don't know. I'll be I'll be monitoring the the IL to to see whether or not he actually winds up going on there. You know, we got a guy who deals with blisters too, and uh, just just I'm worried about Eliezer Hernandez. I want I want to you know send him uh, send him a fruit basket or some flowers if he if he's ailing, or you know. <laughs> It's Whatever. it's just bush league, and it, it yeah, just it's so it lame. infuriates me. Like I don't mind if you want to hit a guy. I get it, but you can't just keep it going and. You can't just let it happen. So I, I don't know. I kind of hope that the Braves hit somebody tonight. Uh, it loses a little bit of its luster if you do it tonight as opposed to yesterday, but you got to get something back. And whether it's Brian Anderson or whether it's to start off the game, I don't really care at this point. And somebody's going to get suspended. If it's a starter, he's going to get suspended five games. He's going to miss one start. Oh, well. I don't really care. Um, if it's Snicker. This is why you have minor league depth. Right, if it's Snicker, what do I care how many games Snicker misses? A manager's overrated anyway as far as what he brings to the the actual in-game outing. I mean, the Braves have overcome some of Snicker's bad decisions, and he's made some good decisions too, but overall those balance out. And the Braves have, like, Walt Weiss actually has some experience as a manager. I don't really care. Just get yours back there. Speaking to what it was earlier this week, though, as you mentioned in an oblique kind of way that it's been a, a week of two extremes for Acuna, Getting pulled in the final game of the Dodgers series, what, in my opinion, and I'm not trying to be hyperbolic, what was the most important game of the season to that point, uh, Acuna launches a ball that he thinks he gets out, so he's kind of admiring at the plate, carries the bat down with him as he's walking down to first, hits off the wall, so he's held to a single, and then immediately tries to steal second and make up for it and gets thrown out. Goes out later, or goes out the next inning playing the field, uh, and then gets benched the inning after that, which I'd, I'd, I'd let me get your thoughts on this first before I go into mine. Couple couple things about this. Number one, Max Fried should have scored on that play. Number two, Acuna should not have pimped it. Uh, just, it was close, you know. He missed it by like two feet. You know, he, he was, it was obviously very close, and the way that, that the ball has been coming off his bat recently, then, you know, yeah, you could you could make a case for for the fact that he could just kind of slow walk that one and um I actually am not entirely sure that it was strictly related to to just that incident because it was at the game on Sunday and Cody Bellinger hit the home run in the top of the first inning and it clanged off of Acuña's glove. I honestly it was so close. I thought that he was about to do the same thing that he had done um when the Braves were playing the Mets, and he stole that home home run from J.D. Davis. I was in the 400s, and I have horrible eyesight, so everybody, was, it was just like colors and shapes. I couldn't exactly see what was going on. But I, I thought he had it. And, I, and I'm not positive whether or not it was um, because of him crashing into the wall or if he actually, like, 
like he lost his hat and he lost his glove and I can't tell whether or not they came off in the collision or if he actually like threw his glove. No, he he threw his glove down. Yeah. So and he was kind of standing there with his hands on his hips. Like that's the closest I've seen Acuna get to faulty. It was kind of a bad look, you know. And then so in the bottom of the first, he got on. He found himself at third base. He probably could have scored on the fly out to left, but he didn't. And there was just a couple of different mental lapses there. So to me, it was the culmination of a number of things. And you're going to hate me for this. But the fact that Snit prioritized a teaching moment over the biggest game of the year where he's like, you know what? I don't care. Do we need him out there? Yeah, we do. But I don't care. And I'm about to prove to you that I don't care. Because, you know, sit your ass down. What are you doing? You know, we can, we can lose without you. And, uh, and I think that if the... Braves had lost that game. We were having a very different conversation, but they didn't. But, you know, mercifully, they, they won the game and they uh, they took the series against the Dodgers. But I thought it took huge, huge stones from Brian Snitker to just say, it doesn't matter. I don't care who we're playing. Better, better for him to give him that teaching moment now than, like, you know, because if you do it against the Marlins, then, oh, whatever. You know, you, you expect that you're going to beat the Marlins or the Orioles or the Tigers or whoever. But the Dodgers, where it's like, look what you're doing. You did this, man. This is on you. If you if you had hustled, I wouldn't have had to have pulled you. So I thought it took a lot of um, a lot of stones on Snickers' part. And I will turn it over to you to completely rip my opinion apart on that. I didn't like it at all, uh, and and for a number of different reasons. First off, can I quit hearing about this? Well, Bobby did it to Andrew. It didn't help Andrew at all. Like Doc unbiased, just baseball opinion, speaking from somebody outside of Atlanta, what do you think people would say was the number one negative thing about Andrew Jones? That he couldn't hit after he was 30. Or that he was lazy, maybe? That he didn't run things out? That he didn't work out hard? That he let himself get fat? Well, yeah, all, all of those things. Okay. Now, when did Bobby Cox pull Andrew? June 1998. 1998. When did Andrew come up? 1996. Okay, so as a young player, Bobby Cox pulled Andrew. By the way, do you remember why he got pulled? Uh, should have. It was a single to center. Like he should have hustled on it, but it just got kind of yes. dropped in front of him. Yes, loafed. He he loafed on a defensive play, and Bobby got pissed and yanked him. Did it change him at all? No. He was still known for the same stuff his entire career. So if you're telling me that, yeah, Snit had to do it because that's that's Bobby did it to Andrew and he'll fix Andrew, you're already wrong there. That didn't fix Andrew at all because doing things like that doesn't tend to fix a player. It really doesn't. All you're doing is embarrassing them, and you can do that from the dugout. I understand the thought behind pulling him. I understand saying, hey, that's not going to be tolerated, so now you have to live with the fact that you're that you're that that you might cost us a game. But to me, that whole thought process is stupid. Like, you're hurting the other 24 guys, and you can say that Acuna hurt the other 24 by not hustling. But the power was on Snicker, too, and Snicker obviously didn't want to pull him at first. He let him go out for another inning and then decided, oh, well, I guess I have to pull him because it's an old-school thing, and Snit's an old-school guy, and I get that. And I'm not just trying to hammer Snit here. I think that whole thought philosophy is stupid. I think you can get the point across by screaming at the guy in front of the cameras as well as you can do it by yanking him from the game. I really do. I don't think it's any different from pulling him and making him sit on the bench and embarrassing him in front of the fans and the team and all that. I think you can do the same thing. Um, 
And I don't think that we're having this conversation if he doesn't get thrown out at second. So if he gets held to that single and then successfully steals second, no harm, no foul. Or let's let's consider it this way. You lost so because Acuna cost you one out and one total base, you deprived yourself of two at bats of Ronald Acuna in a game that, thank goodness for Rafael Ortega, but at the time, you ended up subbing in Adam Duvall, who hasn't been able to hit anything because everybody else is hurt. So to me, you put yourself in a more disadvantaged position than you should have because I truly don't think he would have pulled him if Acuna had actually stolen second. I think getting thrown out at second, compounding the mistake, is what caused him to get pulled. A couple things about that. Number one, uh, the, fr- <laughs> the first person to ever say, thank goodness for Rafael Ortega. Uh, number two, Snit is real into the, like, the kind of recency bias and the hot hand, and Duvall had hit the home run off of, off of Ryu the night before. Uh, but and you have a point. You really do have a point about the f- if whether or not he'd stolen that base. But and this this comes back to kind of what I was saying too about I think it it was more it was about more than just him loafing it on that one play. It seemed like he's kind of been in a weird headspace for the last little bit. I don't know if it's I don't know what it is, but it, it's he seemed maybe a little more serious. Than usual, like even for his usual amount of joy, yeah, he's happy and he's smiling, he's hopping. But it's like, it's like he's starting to mature at a rate that he's almost not comfortable with. I don't know. It's it's hard to really put into words. He seemed he seemed a little bit different recently, and he's still mashing the ball. But it's it's like uh, it's like he decided that he wanted to go forty forty, and now he can't let his foot off the gas, and he's like he's losing a bit of the joy, and he's getting a bit too serious with it. And so when something like that backfired, you never know. Like, maybe he went down in the dugout and was just, you know, furious about something else. You know, there, there's also the possibility that there's something you and I don't know that was going on in there. But all of that aside, the Braves did win the game because Rafael Ortega continued this completely improbable thing of Braves players just kind of stepping up out of nowhere like and being able to rely on guys that that weren't even thought to be any type of impact piece coming into the season they beat the Dodgers which is the first time that they beat them in a series since I think 2013 at home anyways and kind of shake a little bit of that we can't beat them they're too good I don't know how much I don't know how much this series actually means in terms of like facing each other in the playoffs because Braves didn't have to face Clayton Kershaw. They didn't have to face Walker Bueller. But then again, the Dodgers didn't see Dansby Swanson or Austin Riley. So there's a lot more about the series that was left unanswered that was answered. But it was just nice to see them go out and and beat these guys and take the series. And and the momentum is carrying over. Like, they're 7-2 and two since Newcom had his, uh, his incident with the fire extinguisher. See, I actually think that it does mean a lot. It means a lot for the Braves. It might not mean much to the Dodgers, like one way or the other, but it does mean a lot to the Braves because now you can point and say, we did beat these guys. And not only did you beat them, I know we didn't face Kershaw or Bueller, but one, the Braves do very well against Walker Bueller, crushed him in the playoffs. Uh, Usually Bueller's not a guy that destroys the Braves. Kershaw's a different story. Kershaw always dominates the Braves. But you beat up on Hinjin Ryu, who's been the best pitcher ERA-wise in all of baseball this year, and you got him chased, and that's one of your wins. Um, you, You did a great job taking a series from the team that had been just bullying you to the point where it had to be part of in your head. 
I mean, they hadn't won a series at home since 2013. I don't think they'd beaten the Dodgers in a series period since 2015. So to go out there and win that series, I think that's a huge momentum builder because it kind of gets that monkey off your back. And when you get to the playoffs, you can say, yes, we can actually beat these guys if we play our game. Whether or not you face Bueller and Kershaw like you will in the postseason, you do. You already have that series victory of knowing, all right, I can beat these guys. And the bullpen, while they were horrendous the first game in the Dodgers series, after that they've clamped it down. And it looks like everybody's starting to figure out their role, or it looks like it's going to be Jackson and Martin split in the seventh, Shane Green in the eighth, and Melanson in the ninth. It looks like they're finally starting to get rolling a little bit. This is a lot closer to what we expected from them. You know, we we spent the the, the back half of the second segment last week talking about you know the peripherals are fine on a lot of this stuff, but they're it's such a small sample size that like the the ERA is inflated. Like Mark Melanson's ERA was over ten, and his FIP was under one. I mean, there it was bound to turn around, and and some of the numbers are still so extreme, like the left on base rates and the and the the <laughs> see my dogs are really enthusiastic about the bullpen. Uh, the left on base rate is still really, really low. The batting average on balls in play is still really high. But what you're starting to see is like these guys are striking a lot of guys out. You were starting to see like event-free, drama-free outings out of the bullpen. You know, since you know Newcomb had a, had a bad go of it on Friday night, and ever since then the bullpen has just been spectacular. Now, granted, some of it was against the Marlins, but opposite end of the spectrum, some of it was against the Dodgers as well. So. I really am liking what I'm seeing right now. If you if you go to Fangraphs and you you look at season long stats, you know the it's going to have the Braves like anywhere between 26th and 28th on everything. But if you filter that and you just do the active roster, then they become middle of the pack. It takes out Johnny Venters and Shane Carl and AJ Minter and Chad Sabatia and all these guys that either uh, Jesse Biddle, uh, Rodas Vizcaino, there's so Wes Parsons, there's so many guys that were that were up for a little bit that were really dragging those numbers down. So you start looking at who's still here. This is actually a pretty good bullpen. No, they're not infallible, and you're still going to have some blown saves along the way, but they're much, much better. And that's true, and it's a good thing because the Braves can't afford to have the bullpen be bad and have no depth right now. As you, we mentioned Rafael Ortega with the Grand Slam. That's already the highlight of his career. Um, they had to sign a Danny Echevarria because Johan Camargo couldn't play and Charlie Culberson can't start. Uh, and Brian McCann goes on the IL now, so we see the Braves add today Francisco Cervelli. And you've been a Francisco Cervelli guy for a while. You were huge on him this offseason and trying to acquire him. How do you feel today, knowing that uh, the Braves got Francisco Cervelli? I feel pretty good. Um, I would have liked it if he was attached to Felipe Vasquez and Starling Marte, as was my the, the trade where I absolutely managed to infuriate both Braves fans and Pirates fans alike. But, uh, but yeah, I like it. I mean, he, he struggled with his concussion stuff a bunch. He's missed a lot of time. But uh, when he's healthy, which I, this year I'm, I'm not entirely sure how healthy he has been, but he is a great defender, great game caller, and he's actually pretty serviceable with the stick too. So I feel a lot better about having him as the third option behind McCann and Flowers. Uh feel a lot better about that than I do about John Ryan Murphy or Alex Jackson. I hope Jackson gets the chance to get in and get a little bit of playing time while he's here. And come September, this could come in all forms. But uh, but yeah, I, I dig it. What do you think? I mean, what do you, you're, we're 
<clears throat> excuse me, you were a huge home for him in the offseason like I was. Where are you on that move? I like the move. Now, Cervelli's had six concussions that they know of, so that's definitely a scary thing. Uh, there was the original report that he didn't want to catch, but Cervelli actually debunked that himself. He hasn't been good this year at all offensively, but he's a very strong defensive catcher, and he's a great game caller, which with Brian McCann being on the 10-day IL, that's the part that worried me because there's no way in the world I want to see Tyler Flowers catching four out of five days because Tyler's horrible game calling. And I don't know if you realize this, but when you're a catcher, it's kind of important to be able to catch the baseball, which Tyler Flowers can't seem to do. So hopefully getting to a new team will kind of turn Cervelli around a little bit because if he can be close to what he was last year, just a guy that has a high OBP or what he is in his career, not last year, a guy with a high OBP who does a great job uh, calling plays and, and actually catching young guys, then that's going to be huge for the Braves. And I actually think if he's, if he's feeling healthy and, and happy about the move, you could see a playoff platoon of him and McCann and Tyler Flowers could kind of be left on the bench. And it's nice to see when they're doing these depth moves this year. Like last year, the, the bench was just so remarkably thin. And yeah, they picked up Lucas Duda last year down the stretch. And actually, they, they picked up Lucas Duda again. Uh, and he's not doing particularly well in Gwinnett. But they're getting guys that have been starters before. You know, They're getting Cervelli and Billy Hamilton and Adani Hechevarria. So it's like even the guys that they have as backups now were starters at one point in their career, and it's not like they're strictly washed up. These are all even, – and even if what Hechevarria has done for the first couple of games and, and you know, Hamilton would be lucky if he gets 20 at-bats for the Braves. I mean, he's defense and he is speed, which is which has been something that Anthopoulos has, has prioritized since the very beginning. It's nice to see them getting – bench pieces and depth pieces that are actually still serviceable. You know what I mean? It's not just scrap heap pickups. You know what I mean? Like it gives it gives you a much better feeling. So even even if Cervelli doesn't hit at all, if if he can call a good game, if he can fill that role for McCann, the off the rest of the offense is stout enough to where they can those top four, they make up for a lot. Normally it might be. Right now I'm not so sure where you've got Dansby and Austin Riley who just started their rehab assignments last night in Rome. So they're probably about a week away, I would imagine, from coming back up. But when you're talking about you know, Ortega, Duvall, um, Echeverria, and whether it's Tyler Flowers or Cervelli, it's a little bit of, of four-man weakness in the lineup in any day, given the pitcher as well. So um, <laughs> need, need some of those guys back as soon as possible right now. Um, I don't disagree, though, in, in the long term. And I hope, I hope Cervelli kind of gets it together here. He wasn't getting a lot of playing time in Pittsburgh, so maybe that was affecting him. Obviously, the concussions have been affecting him, but hopefully he can kind of get back to semi-normal. Uh, and if he can just give you – if he can even bat like Flowers but actually be able to catch a baseball and call a game, then it's then it's fine there. As far as Billy Hamilton goes, I hope he doesn't get 20 at-bats. I hope he's literally only used in those situations where they would burn Max Freed as a pinch runner. Now just use Billy Hamilton. Uh, and I like that Alex said that. He's not going to get a lot of at-bats. He's just here for defense and running. And that's, and that's fine. You, you look at guys like Terrence Gore, uh, Herb Washington, you know, some, some guys, you can make a really good living just being fast. And Billy Hamilton, you know, he's, he's been gold glove finalist. I know gold gloves are not like the gospel by any means. But he is still a really good defender, and he is still really fast. Uh, he immediately goes to the top of the Braves sprint speed chart. So great guy to have in your back pocket. And 
the <laughs> Max Freed pinch running, it's always a great event. But it's still in the back of your mind. You're like, oh, God, he's going to pull a hammy. He's going to slide head first and jam a thumb or, or something like that. You know, Billy Hamilton jams a thumb. Well, now you've got Max Freed <laughs> that you can, you can pinch run, and, and he didn't wind up having to get hurt. Because, you know, I don't know if you know this, but hands in baseball, very important. Especially when you have a problem with blisters. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So good moves across the board. And, and you mentioned Riley and Dansby. I'm like, I'm really impressed by what Hechevarria has done uh, since he's been here. Very small sample size. But uh, the fact that, that Camargo was struggling, now this gives you like a good backup. You know, Hechevarria can play anywhere in the infield if you need him to. When Dansby comes back, the job is obviously going to be his. But Adani is, is a, a really good, solid guy to have around. But it'll be so good to get Dansby back. He, he needed to, to kind of correct a little bit. He was starting to flail at sliders a little bit. And similar thing for, for Austin Riley. I think it'll benefit both, uh, both Dansby and Riley to get a little bit more uh, time off, not just to recoup the injuries, but to reset a little bit. We need him for the stretch. We need him to be fresh. These are young guys who still aren't used to playing full seasons and not tiring out at the very end. And uh, huge pieces, you know, you you don't get to add pieces like that this late in the year. So hopefully everything goes well with the with the rehab assignments, and uh, we'll see him soon. Hopefully so, and we're going to take a quick break here soon. Uh, but coming up after the break, a dead man sighting, a question on Twitter that had Doc and I both talking spitballing for like an hour before the show, and dick pills, the new steroids. Coming up next, right here on the Platinum Sombrero. This week's episode of the Platinum Sombrero podcast is brought to you by the new bestseller from TPS Publishing, 101 Places to Avoid Before You Die. Join us and discover why you should never consider going to places like Gary, Indiana, Stockton, California, Griffin, Georgia, and why you should avoid the entire state of Nebraska like the plague. This updated edition also includes a full-page layout demonstrating why you should not go to North Dakota in the winter or Tampa, Florida ever for any reason. Our newest masterwork also discusses why you should stay home instead of going to places like the DMV, the airport, the county fair, any buffet-style restaurant, or church on Wednesdays. 101 places to avoid before you die. Patent pending. Welcome back, everybody, to the Platinum Sombrero, brought to you by Blue Chew. Guys, do you remember the days when you were always ready to go? Do you want to increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed? Then listen up. BlueChew.com. That's blue, just like the color. Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know it works. You can take them anytime, day or night, on a full stomach or empty. See, it's different than alcohol. And since they are chewable... They work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises. If you could benefit from an extra function and more confidence when it counts, Blue Chew is the fast and easy way to enhance your performance. Most guys talk a good game, but Blue Chew helps you follow through. 
Blue Chew is prescribed online, ships straight to your door in a discreet package, so no in-person doctor visits, no waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. And right now, for our special deal for our listeners, go to BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when you use the promo code ARMCHAIR. You just pay $5 for shipping. Again, that's BlueChew.com, spelled like the color, promo code ARMCHAIR, spelled like duh, to get it for free. Blue Chew's the better, cheaper, faster alternative, and we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. All right. So a lot of stuff that we teased, a lot of stuff that we teased in that break. Um, let's get this one out of the way first. Doc, I know you saw it. Uh, I don't know who had it first. Was it Jeff Passan maybe who had it first? Uh, yeah, about, yeah, I think so. About uh, gas station penis pills are an epidemic in Major League Baseball uh, and are being banned from the game. Uh, was that the news you were expecting to wake up to on like a Wednesday morning? Uh, certainly not. I mean, I, I, you know, you never want to see a, a guy who winds up getting uh, busted for for taking extends or, or something like that. But uh, I mean, it's I, I don't even know what to make of this news other than just like that is about the most 2019 thing I could possibly think of. You know what I mean? Like this is just such a bizarre thing. Dudes are getting busted for dick pills. What? What? <laughs> what talking about it's so bizarre well coming from somebody that's been around the game a long time uh and played for a while uh it is a lot less it's a lot more common than you would think uh when you're talking about a gas station dick pill uh by the way this episode will be marked uh explicit so maybe don't play this one for your kids in the car um the ingredients in those gas station pills are essentially just this weird concoction of whatever they can get away with. So when you're taking those, essentially what players are getting out of it is a greenie or amphetamines. It's it's basically baseball's way around the no more greenies rule. Because when you when you look at those pills and you see what's actually in those pills, they're basically just speed. Uh, like truck drivers will take them, not because they're you know trying to bone a truck stop chick, but oh I'm sorry I'm sorry trying to lay with a truck stop woman. Uh, I don't want to seem classless here. Um, <laughs> they're taking it so that they Good. can stay awake for like five, six hours on the road. And baseball players do the same thing. It gives you a ton of energy. Um, it, it's not about the boner. It's not about popping that bone cone. It's uh, it, it's about the, the energy and the rush of testosterone that it gives you. So take it in that context. Like If there's one thing you should ever know about any major league athlete in any sport if they can find an advantage that you don't know about they will find it no and that's and that's true and it it comes in all forms you know what i mean like some some guys will drink black coffee you know and and some will try and find some type of substance that hasn't been identified as illegal by mlb and some guys will just stroll into a quick trip and just say hey so what do you uh what do you got to help me out over here it's it's really it's really bizarre but they said that this is like it's a it's moderately prevalent. I hope this isn't like the the steroid report where they start throwing out names because I really just have <laughs> no desire to find out that uh, you know D- Dallas Keuchel has been relying on yeah you know, who, who knows you know it's it's just kind of a like you said I woke up to to that news I'm like. I'm just gonna keep scrolling, dude. I I got nothing creative to say about what's going on here. But let let me ask you. 
Uh, when you were still playing baseball, did you ever take uh, OTC enhancement pills? Just for um, your game, of course. Just for your game. No, baseball game. No, I never got to the point that I took uh, that I ended up taking a dick pill. I knew I knew a few guys on the team that would, and they take it right before the game, and it gives you a big rush. Uh, if we're being totally honest here, before they were illegal, I took pro hormones. The you used to be you used to be able to get pro hormones over the counter at like a GNC. You could get like Tribulus uh, and, and Tribulus. I Tribulus itself you would pop for if you got tested. Um, which all Tribulus is is like a testosterone enhancer, but you could get a pro hormone and it would essentially do the same thing. Uh, and you just take a couple of those before the game and you'd be ready to go. A lot of people did that. Now, that was before they were technically illegal, but um, never did I go into a gas station and be like, hey, give me that rhino pill. <laughs> yeah, that's um, that's just got to be awkward, too. It's it's one of those things that maybe, um, you know, doesn't feel good if you wear it. Wouldn't feel good if you wore a cup, I can tell you that. <laughs> well, you know, we we were talking about you know certain um, you know the superstitiousness of certain uh, certain baseball players and and how like heaven forbid you wind up taking something that winds up having some type of unintended effect similar to uh, to being needing to be retrofitted for a cup. You have too good of a performance, and it's like oh god, I backed myself into a corner. I have to take another one right now. So well, you're, you say that as a joke, but that you know there were definitely players that had to. Had to make sure that they followed the same routine every day, if you know what I'm saying. No, um, and then that, that's kind of what I mean. Like the baseball players are nothing if not superstitious. We talked to Bruce Zimmerman about that last year about like just being a slave to your routine. And unfortunately, if it winds up uh, resorting to you having to to take some type of supplement that, that just gives you a, a massive chub for you know <laughs> three hours or whatever. Like, uh, did anybody notice that our right fielder seems a little overjoyed? Right now? <laughs> He's very interested in every female fan. <laughs> right. So, I don't know. What's I don't know. The- that's, one that I, that's one that I feel like we need Eric O'Flair in the podcast. So, all of you listeners, do your thing. Tell Eric to come on the show so we can ask him if he's ever had to pop a rhino pill for a game. You know, we could always get Jose Canseco on, which was my initial idea. Never, the- ever, never bring that up again. <laughs> no, you want to talk about somebody who knows something about performance-enhancing drugs. Uh, Jose Canseco is kind of the guy. So, um, but and I also would like to say to everybody that was tweeting at him, telling him, uh, and apparently his agent who runs his account that uh, that he needs to come on TPS. Thank you for doing that. It means a lot. So, uh, and also still- never do it again because I like to say a lot of things on this show, um, but I also have strict rules. One guest I would never have on this show. Is Jose Canseco. And the fact that his manager wanted us... I'm going to pull the curtain back on this. The fact that his manager wanted us to pay him to come on this show... Yeah, Jose Canseco can go fight as many seven foot three giants to get pounded in the face as much as he wants for the rest of his life. It's true. We did... Uh, we did. Well, he, he posted his agent's phone number on Twitter, so naturally I was like, okay, well, let's... <laughs> <laughs> Let's follow this trail. Let's pull this string a little bit and see what happens. And uh, I don't know what the going rate was. I think it was, um, I think it was five digits. And it was like, well, we'll pay him an exposure, and we can, uh, you know, because he certainly needs some level of good exposure as opposed to talking about uh, aliens and conspiracy theories and whatever. I get the feeling we could have Jose Canseco on, and we would never once talk about baseball with him. I almost would prefer it that way. You say that, but we'd never get to talk because that's all he wants to do is talk, 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 talk. 
And that's, no, that's, that's fine. You know, we sometimes, you know, maybe our format gets a little stale. Uh, what better way to, to do it, an easy off-week episode? Maybe we'll do it around like a Thanksgiving or something where it's like the cool and dulcet tones of Jose Canseco. You know, that's, I'm telling you, we could release an entire series. We could get him a residency. He comes on and he just talks about whatever he wants. I mean, if you want to do that, if I'm ever not here, just let me know and I'll take my vacation. Well, I do. I do owe you an episode. Listen, I don't listen. I don't hold with snitches, and Jose Canseco is like the king snitch of all snitches. That's yeah. The the writing a book about it was. Uh, hey, I little, got busted. Let me tell you, literally every single other person. Let me just name every single other popular player. Yeah, that was um, that was ultimate. Like, if you do that in the if you're in the mob, you're dead. You're dead the next morning. But. Uh, some he somehow survived. So I grew up I grew up watching <clears throat> Jose Canseco back when I was a kid. I'm pretty sure I name dropped him during the first <laughs> the first segment when we were talking about Don Mattingly. So one of these days I'm gonna get to talk to him and we will get to prove that he is absolutely crazy. But just in the interest of reeling us back in, anybody who hasn't managed to fast forward through this segment, we might want to get to some slightly Braves related news. <laughs> That's true, but before we even get into that, thank you to our newest patron of the show, Jacob Vanderwelt. Very powerful last name there. Um, <laughs> he's, our, he's the newest patron of the Platinum Sombrero, so guess what? His name goes in the pile to be drawn uh, out of a hat at the end of the month to host an episode with us. Now, he's probably looking more forward to talking to Doc than he is with me, but who knows? Maybe he'll have something to say to me, and we'll, we'll have a great episode. We always do really enjoy anything, any, any, anytime you guys like us enough to feel like we're worth like any sort of money, that's huge. That really is huge. And I, I say it every week, but it really is huge. It, it really just kind of makes me feel all, all, all tingly. It does make me blush a little bit, and uh, almost like I know, took a almost like I took an extends or a, or a blue chew or a blue chew. Yeah, yeah. It was a <laughs> it's a toss up. But yeah, thank you, uh, thank you to Jacob, and thank you to everybody who is. Who continues to be a patron? We appreciate it. We do this show for uh, we do this show for everybody. We are a podcast of the people. I don't know about all that. I do this. I do this for myself. I just like that other people happen to like it too. <laughs> so, but, <laughs> you know, by the it, way, it by takes... the way, hope you guys enjoy the new uh, the the new logo and everything. Um, part of the Armchair All Americans revamp as we move over to the Art Nineteen console over there. Um, I love our new logo. Hope you guys do too. I've mentioned it before, but we should be um, maybe about three, maybe four weeks away from merchandise. So I'm expecting to see a lot of TPS shirts the next time I hit up in 2020 when I hit up SunTrust Park. Yeah, and uh, and we are not completely opposed to doing completely uh, off the wall forms of branding. So uh, our TPS question of the week, we hope you will tweet at us uh, your most bizarre and off-the-wall marketing opportunity. I'm still holding out for TPS sponges uh, or um, the TPS toaster. Uh, you can toast your bread with uh, with our brand new logo on it. So, uh, yeah, we'd love to hear from you on that. Yeah, I'm very excited to see that. But let's get back to the Braves talk here. Braves, we, we've been talking about in the first half. They've been doing really, really well lately. Uh, what is it, six or seven, oh, and one in their last nine series? Uh, six zero oh, and two, and and uh, seven and two since Sean Newcomb uh, had the the run in with the fire extinguisher. So looking pretty good. It's strange to think that uh, that the last team that beat the Braves in a series was the Kansas City Royals, and that was a month ago. And I still don't count it. I don't like. 
It's a two-game series. That doesn't even count. It that was just that was weird. That that was like uh, coming right out of the All Star break. Like they they had beat the Padres and then they lost the series to the Brewers and I think another to the Nationals and then they wound up losing that series to the Royals and then. You know that people were freaking out while it happened, but like you said, six zero and two since that happened, and leading up to that, they'd won like ten straight series. I mean, just we the magic number right this second is thirty. Team is kind of on a roll right now. Hopefully, you know they facing a slightly more robust opponent this weekend in the Mets. Uh, they took the series from them when they saw them last time, but they did not face DeGrom last time, which they uh, they will face him on Friday night. So big test, big test this weekend. Yeah, and it was really weird. It felt like the first time we've ever faced the Mets and not faced DeGrom. And they faced him like five or six times last year. It was strange. And if, if you're a fan of pitching, then it should be a pretty fun weekend for you. Was it goes Fulte, Freed, and Keuchel for the Braves, and I believe... DeGrom, Wheeler, and Mats, who for some reason the Braves always seem to struggle with for the Mets? And the Braves' recent... I can't even call it recent. It's just this love affair they have with letting opposing pitchers get on base. I mean, Caleb Smith hit two doubles last night. But I always see... I feel like Steven Matz is literally batting like 500 in his career against the Braves. He got two hits last time out, too. So... It should it should be a good series. I mean, the the Mets we we love to crap on the Mets here at TPS and and rightfully so because they are the Mets. But uh, you know they're they're not a bad team. They're pesky. They their pitching is obviously when you're sending Degrom, Wheeler, and Mats out, then it's kind of a toss up. Even when you've got an offense like what the Braves have, I mean, they're it's a big ask to get them to to keep the bats going for for three straight. So, but at this point. We got what five weeks left in the season, which kind of breaks my heart a little bit. Yeah, we're at about five and a half weeks, uh, and this Mets team has has, despite the fact that the Braves beat them, which they should have to make things right with the world, they're still playing pretty well. They're still they just beat Cleveland in their series, uh, and Cleveland was a team that had been coming on strong. The Mets, I still think they're too flawed to to really make a run of it, but they're what two games out of the wild card right now. It's a team that's going to be in kind of desperation mode. So you're going to get the best of the Mets. You're going to face who, in my opinion, is the best pitcher in baseball, and Jacob Degrom. So there's there's a lot to look forward to. Is Mike Fultonevich going to continue looking better? Uh, because you and I have talked about a doc that Fulte could be not just a key, but one of the the true key cogs in the wheel to answer how the Braves will do in the postseason. No question about it. And even if he doesn't wind up getting one of the starting slots, because there's only going to be so many of those available, having a weapon like what Fulte has been since he came back, that's going to be super crucial. Somebody who can come in and he can give you three, four innings in the middle of a game, at quality innings too. Because he his slider, is uh, it's still a little inconsistent, but it's been so much better since he came back, starting with that, that uh, start against the Twins. The, the numbers don't fully bear it out, and he's still rounding out a little bit, but what a weapon he is capable of being. Like, he's still, he. you would mention Chris Martin is, is throwing harder than anybody on the team. I, I still think Fulte is, is, uh, has got that title, so love him. I gushed about him when he, when he first came back. I was, uh, I was at Lake Lanier on Saturday, so I didn't wind up getting to, to see a whole lot of Fulte start, but, uh, you know, he didn't, he didn't fully implode against the Dodgers, which, which that's a really good sign. 
Yeah, and he was he gave up a few runs. He gave up three runs in like the first inning, came back and held him scoreless the rest of his outing, which I thought was really impressive. Um, but I know we're only about fifteen minutes into this. Doc and I got asked a, a really, really fun question on Twitter. I can't remember who asked it. Uh, if I wasn't so lazy, I could just look up Twitter and see. Uh, but asked me my thoughts on the Braves as far as like their roster for next season. And obviously me being me, I tend to go down rabbit holes and like really play things out. Luckily I took doc on this rabbit hole with me. Um, It's very interesting. The Braves have a lot of things they can do this year. So I kind of, I'm going to hijack and we're going to talk about that a little bit for this. I did tease it going into this break. So you're all aware. Um, It is too, it is probably too early to talk about next year's roster. Um, it's it's probably a little too early for another two or three weeks to even begin to talk about it. But it is a fun conversation to have. And I think there's some points that, that really need to be kind of pushed home. Everybody knows that there's two big names on the list, and that is Anthony Rendon and that's Garrett Cole. Now, the interesting thing for me is, I don't know about you, so I'm going to ask you first, which of those two, and this this is just purely if you could get them, which, full disclosure, I don't think the Braves would be able to get either of them. But if you could take one of those two, who are you taking? Oh, man. I could make the case for either, but I really think that I would just back up the Brinks truck for Anthony Rendon. And I think part of that has to do with the fact that he would play every day. And he's basically having he and Freddie on opposite sides of the diamond from each other is like the all underrated cornerstones. You know what I mean? Because even for, as we know how great Freddie is and we know how underrated he is. And the fact that we've had the chance to see Anthony Rendon, he's basically like the same type thing where he just goes to work every day. He's going to hit, he's going to put up a slash line of at least 300, 400, 500 every year. He hits for average, hits for power. He's a great defender, quiet leader, just great, great player, great example. And also... You know, when you when you talk about, like, trading for a guy, like, geographic association doesn't really mean much. Everybody was like, we got to trade for Madison Bumgarner because he's from here. Well, that's, that's not a thing. But for free agency, it's different. And Rendon was drafted by the Braves back in 2008 in, like, 27th round out of high school. Uh, they weren't able to, to pony up, so... But I think that because of that, that's something that, that might even be in the back of his mind. And the Braves will have some money to spend, reg- regardless of what happens this year. I think... You're looking at a scenario where, you know, this past off season was mildly underwhelming <laughs> as far as as far as free agent signings went. You know, the Donaldson move was very shrewd, very savvy. Uh, people really, really hated the Marcakis and, and McCann acquisitions at the time, and then the, the next biggest one was like Josh Tomlin. You know, and th- those have all actually wound up working out pretty well. But I think that. Um, as far as like some type of splashy move, going out and getting a guy like Rendon, I think that's kind of it for me. But you could make the case for Cole, too. And if I'm guessing, I would think that you're going to say Garrett Cole. Yeah, and usually I'm with you. Usually I side with the position player because it's every day. So you get you know 150 games instead of 35 starts. But I almost think with this Braves team and with Garrett Cole in particular, I think it's a little bit different. Because the Braves had the ability to re-sign Josh Donaldson, and while Rendon is better than Donaldson, I, I think it's very rare that you have a chance to sign a guy like a Garrett Cole, one of the one of the true top five pitchers in all of baseball. And I think 
whether you added Rendon or not, I think the lineup is still really good. I think if you were to add Cole to the rotation, it would be a far bigger impact than just adding Rendon to this lineup would be. And and yeah, you could you could make the case for that too because a front three going into next year of Cole, Soroka, and Freed is just goosebump inducing. You know what I mean? Like even we love Mike Soroka, and he to me he's a number one. Like he's going to be a, a number one moving forward. But you know he he's not going to start on opening day if Garrett Cole is here. But the, also when you take into account the volatility of pitchers then that that kind of gives me a, a little bit of pause. And and it's also, it's really weird to think, like, the market, you know, we talked about this a lot last year, and Bryce Harper got paid, and Manny Machado got paid, and, like, the, the upper echelon guys, like, they're still going to wind up getting paid, but, like, as far as what the rest of the market is going to do, it's, we're at a really strange point. This is going to be, like, the third, third offseason since things kind of shifted a little bit, like that year when it was going to be, like, Arietta's going to get 200 million and Darvish is going to get 200 million and then they wound up um they barely got 200 million combined. So the market for pitchers is is really changing and I think that for position players too. Now both these guys are are well within their rights to ask for like 150 million dollar contracts and they'll probably both get them. But I'm not entirely convinced like you look at where this Braves team is now. We we talked about the depth that this team needs, I'm not entirely sure that they wouldn't be better suited getting a couple of really, like, four or five really, really good guys, like, doing what the Twins did this year, and having, doing the full court press that way instead of just relying on, like, the top four in the lineup like they're doing now. But there's there's also a possibility they could bring back Josh Donaldson next year. And when you talk about those, what I call the Tier 2 free agents, the guys who are uh, who are definite starters and are really good players, maybe not quite superstars, but are big additions. Guys like Marcelo Zuna would be a free agent that I would add Marcelo Zuna in a heartbeat. Uh, Yasmani Grandal, who I wanted, you know how much I wanted him this offseason. I want him again this offseason. Uh, guys like Dellen Batances, uh, Will Smith, Madison Bumgarner, even Cole Hamels is a guy that if you start getting into like value deals, there's a few guys I'm going to highlight in a second, but I do want to talk about Marcelo Zuna because for all those of you out there who, who are now clinching um, because I said add an outfielder that wasn't Pache or Drew Waters, there is no bigger Christian Pache fan than me. Um, I'm a big Drew Waters fan as well, although there are a few pieces that I would trade Drew Waters for. Marcelo Zuna is a huge difference maker. Now, you got to keep him healthy because this year he hasn't been healthy. But what you're talking about with Ozuna is a guy with 40 homer power. He's a guy that bats fourth in the lineup. So if you're not able to retain Donaldson, you add in Marcelo Zuna, then you're not missing a beat with the bat, really. Uh, If you're able to re-sign Donaldson and add Marcelo Zuna, now you've got a lineup that, whether or not you even add Grandal, you just add Ozuna into this year's lineup. Now you're talking about a lineup that could compete with the Dodgers every single day. And you also, you've got Austin Riley. I think that what the team really thinks about Austin Riley moving forward is going to be huge here because the fact that, you know, don't let the fact that he's played outfield for most of this year fool you. Like, he is a third baseman. So you have options. You can, you know, he, he's been he's been all right in the outfield. And, and if they think that his bat is going to be closer to what he was in May than what he was in July, then... You know his primary position is hitter, and where he whether he plays third or the outfield, 
then that's kind of inconsequential. It does give you a little bit of flexibility to get Marcelo Zuna and then plug Riley in at third or maybe trade for Mookie Betts, which is not completely off the table, and and plug in Riley at third. And, you know, I, I'm a huge Christian Pache fan as well. We have been stumping for him since day one of this show. And, and same thing for Drew Waters. And even for being a Drew Waters fan, I've, I've been really... I, I'm getting less and less skeptical about what he's doing because he just keeps doing it. Like, is he going to keep up a 500 Babbitt for the rest of his career? Well, that's probably unlikely. But some guys just have a, have a knack for for being able to do what he's doing. But I think that if you have an opportunity to trade Mookie Betts, which recent talks swirling are that the Red Sox are going to consider trading him in the offseason. Now, granted, the ask will be humongous. It will cost you either Pache or Waters, but, you know, I don't know. Maybe, um, maybe, maybe not. We were reading the piece, and John Morosi's the one who originally put this out, so it's not like just some rando put it out. John Morosi's pretty pretty well known to, to know most of his stuff. Uh, occasionally he'll put out some uh, some questionable things, but for the most part, Morosi is very, very good at what he does, and he talks about because the Red Sox pitching is just so horrendous and they don't really have any pitchers to speak of in the minors. Uh, Darwin's and Hernandez maybe, but he's probably going to be in the bullpen. Uh, Jason Groom, but he can't make it through like 60 innings, much less an entire season. They don't have anything on the way as far as pitching to help them out. So in that instance, trading Mookie to get a ton of pitching would, would be suitable. And the Braves have two top 100 pitchers in Ian Anderson and Kyle Wright. And, if you're asking me, like if, if you could find a way to add Mookie Betts and not trade Pache or Drew Waters, I'm doing it in a heartbeat. I would trade Pache or Waters in general to get Mookie. It's a little bit difficult because you would have to re-sign him. So I don't know that gets a little tricky as far as me wanting to give up Pache without any indication of signing him. Um, because you know the rule, you're not supposed to trade for a, uh, trade for an extension. You're trading for what the contract is. But if you're telling me that I just have to give up Ian Anderson, Kyle Wright, and, and some other pieces, some other filler, um, I'm going to do that, and I'll fly to Boston and like drive Mookie down here. I mean, the, the, we're talking about a guy that put up a 10.5 war season last year, and he's performing just slightly under Ronald Acuna level this season. Uh, at the time of recording, Acuna has 5.1 F war, and Mookie's got 4.8. And by and large, that season is a letdown for him. You know, he, th- this... He's only got one year left on his deal, and you know if they're able to re-sign them, great. Once again, this comes down to uh, being able to re-sign somebody with the Geographic Association and free agency. Mookie lives in Tennessee, uh, so he's from Braves country. Um, but you know, say that he goes somewhere else to wind up going and getting paid, then you can always put a qualifying offer on him and get a draft pick that way and recoup prospect, whatever. I mean, we're we're talking like some pie in the sky scenarios right now, but I think. You know, going into this season, there might have been a little bit of hesitancy from the front office saying, you know, how real was last year. So, some of it might have been because they legitimately thought, hey, everything's all good. We still think we're going to win the division with this team because look at who all we've got. But I think now it's like, okay, this is legit. We have a machine now. And moving forward with this core, um, it's, you know, maybe you you make that move and you finally take that next step like even the the prospects we gave up dude i loved joey wentz but like to get the version of shane green that's been pitching recently like that's a move you make to shore up a weakness maybe maybe not joey wentz with 13 and a half k per nine since he's been over there 
I, I get it. I get it. But, Hadn't given but like, up a run. And, and, and I am not saying by any means that Shane Green is Mookie Betts level. But at the same time, you, you kind of start to entertain that idea and say 2020 is going to be <clears throat> the year. That's 25 years since the last World Series title. And the fans have, have waited long enough. Now is the time. Anthopolis is, has proven that he is a very smart baseball man. He's got very good... Uh, team around him to help build and at a certain point you can look at the analytics all you want sometimes you have to make that splash and to me to me it's Mookie or if you want to make a big one but even you look at some of these other pieces that are that are going to wind up being on the market next year um you mentioned Will Smith I think that that could be a really good move if they want to get an outfielder to like plug a hole until Pasha Airwaters are ready somebody like Corey Dickerson if he can stay healthy I think that he's a free agent at the end of this year we talked about Jake Odorizzi from the Twins, who might might be a good addition. Now, like, hold on, let, let's presence. let's talk about that a little bit more because I was going to kind of hold that name a little bit till I threw out a couple of my big values. Odorizzi is a guy that I think is a prime Atlanta Braves target. I think so. I mean, he's he's got a long enough track record to where he could help supplement the rotation. He would essentially be stepping into that Keuchel role, um, and probably for somewhat comparable money as well. Uh, not a lot of ground balls, so he's not going to wind up taking advantage of some of the uh, the infield defense that the that the Braves have. But um, could be could be a really sneaky uh, under the under the radar ad. But I totally stole your thunder by putting his name out there. So I'll, I'll turn it over to you for your for your value ad. Well, well, I mean we're we're running out of time here, so I'm just going to end on these two guys that I think could potentially be a really good value. Uh, and Odorizzi's a guy that in 2016 with the Rays was really, really good. This year he's been even better. Uh, he's he's one of the quietly really solid pitchers in the AL and doesn't give up a ton of home runs. And you're talking about in today's in today's game, you just kind of have to start living with the home run a little bit. Like we're going to have to adjust our opinions on, on what is a good and a bad pitcher because lines are going to start getting inflated a little bit. Um, but when you're talking about Odorizzi, he's a guy that, that I don't think you'd have to pay more than $13 million a year for. And if you're talking about $13 million, he's not Soroka. Uh, he would probably slot in as your number two, maybe your number three, depending on the steps Max Freed takes in this offseason. But I think that would be a very valuable guy. He's going to go out there and make all the starts. He doesn't really get hit around too often. I mean, we saw him when we played Minnesota. He's a very, very good pitcher, very talented, maybe not a top tier, but a guy that I think you could get a very good bargain on. Another one is an old enemy of ours, Cole Hamels, who it didn't work out great for him in Texas, but since he since he went to Chicago, he kind of has he's, he's kind of figured out how to work with his more diminished stuff. And for a guy like Cole Hamels, who used to throw about 95, it's a little bit harder when all of a sudden you're throwing 91, 92. Well, he's kind of rediscovered how to strike people out. And in Chicago, he's been really good this year. And if you're talking about like, – and I'm not talking about giving Cole Hamels like $15, $20 million. If I could get Cole Hamels for 10 to $12 million, like a two-year 20 or a two-year $24 million deal, to have him be able to sit there and talk with Max, who you guys know I compare to Cole Hamels a lot, that would be absolutely incredible. You want to talk about the veteran presence line? Cole Hamels, I think, is, is about on par with Keuchel at this point in their career. Uh, I think Keuchel gets more ground balls. and think Hamels is a little bit more prone to the homer. But I think as far as talent-wise go, I think they're pretty comparable. I'd be all over some Cole Hamels. No doubt. I think that would be a, you know, once again, comes with, with a veteran presence thing. It just, 
they've got options, and I think now it's it's not like a leap of faith from somebody who want, who's a, a free agent. I think that they know that this is going to wind up being like everybody's legit. Acuna's legit. Albie's legit. You know, Freddie Freeman still continues to be one of the, the most underrated stars in baseball. So even if they don't wind up getting some massive free agent, because, you know, we all, we all thought, oh, what, what if they signed Manny? What if they signed Bryce last year? And, you know, they're, they're doing fine without that because they just they grew guys like that in, in the farm system. So I don't know. I'm just here, here to see Braves Twitter burn down when they wind up signing Madison Bumgarner. And Bumgarner himself, if we're talking about something that's like, tops at 15 million then i'm okay with it uh if you if the braves were to like go crazy and somehow give madison bumgarner like 2016 madison bumgarner money then you could watch me meltdown and i would i would melt straight through the earth's core and i would set off the the center of the earth like a nuclear bomb and everything would go kerflui yeah that would be um that would be a very ill-advised move so and like and like i said it's it's hard to even kind of kind of figure out what the market's going to be like because it's starting to we're starting to get a bigger sample size for what pitchers are worth you know what I mean and he he wasn't very wasn't very I don't want to say wasn't very good but he wasn't great by any means in the first half and you know right around leading up to the trade deadline he performed well enough to where the Giants were like we're gonna we're not gonna sell we're gonna keep going and they're like oh no we shouldn't have done that so I mean he he's fine he he would be he'd be a fine addition and once again he's from North Carolina he's in Braves country so he might have some interest in coming here too completely unrelated to to the team performance so this once again goes back to my point about uh, free agency and geographic association uh, versus trading and geographic association. I think it really comes down to what type of team you are because just because a guy's from. Uh, Sarasota doesn't mean he's going to want to go play for the Marlins because they suck. Um, the Braves happen to be a great young team, and a lot of guys like to to hang around Atlanta because it's fun to party in Atlanta. Um, so whatever it takes, you have to be that type of talented team before somebody wants to come to you. But now that the Braves can kind of show they're for real, this offseason is going to be a very, very interesting one to monitor, especially if you consider, according to everything that I have heard, um, kind of behind the scenes, 2020 is a year, that, regardless of how 2019 ends, and I think all of us at this point expected expect a very, a very good playoff run or a very tightly contested playoffs. Regardless of how it ends, even if the Braves were to get bounced first round, the full expectation of this team in the front office next year, within the front office, is a World Series. So when when you hear about that. Maybe the Braves finally get themselves away from that being cheap label and get themselves into like 166 to $175 million cap area. If they can get themselves into that, then this offseason could be really, really interesting. I got chills. Just the idea of, of thinking, thinking about like uh, this, this team going all in is uh, – I'm not ready for that, and I don't think that anybody is ready for the obnoxiousness of the – Oh, I'm so ready. Oh man, we are going to be the worst if we make the World Series. Uh, our entire our entire series is is just going to. Oh my God! See, I can't even speak. I'm like I have no words to talk about how excited I am at the prospect of this of this team fully going for it because they're they're right on the precipice now. You know what I mean? Like, they're, I'm not I'm not even sure that this team can't make like a deep playoff run. And this isn't just me 
overreacting to the fact that we beat the Dodgers. Yeah, we beat the Dodgers, and, that, and that's that's great. It was three games, and, and like I pointed out in the first segment, we didn't face Kershaw or Bueller. But man, this team is good. This is the fifth best, record-wise, this is the fifth best team in baseball, and that even takes into account playing completely even for the first 40 games. I mean, this team is legit. It's got that it's got that feel, man. And and now we got Francisco Sorelli, so the era of good feelings is upon us. <laughs> That's very true. Uh, one thing's for certain, it's going to be a lot of fun to see how this team can finish out the year, especially once we get Dan's being Riley back healthy. Uh, we are out of time for today, but if you want to drop a line and have us discuss something uh, on the show, you can call the TPS hotline number at 678 678- 208-7982. Thank you guys so much for listening to the show this week. Uh, thank you guys for supporting us all the way through. Hope you guys enjoy the new platform that we're going to be on and enjoy the new uh, the, the new logo as well. Same, new logo, same fun show. Doc, thank you so much for joining me as always, my friend. Always a blast, buddy. Uh, so how do you feel about doing another episode next week? Is that something that would interest you? I think we should keep doing this every week. Let's At least that. for the foreseeable future. We'll see how it goes. Take it day All by right. day. All right, cool. <laughs> that sounds good. <laughs> right. Thanks, everybody. Y'all have a great night. We'll catch you next week right here on the Platinum Sombrero. Thanks, bye.